So we're continuing on our series, and today our focus is on the line, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So if you've been around for a few Sundays, you'll know this is the line that trips me up the most when we are doing our Bible memory. So there are so many different translations of the Lord's Prayer, and you might have learned it or heard it differently. So the main translations for this are debts and debtors, but you can also find it saying trespasses or sins. And each focus on a different area if you look into the definitions and history behind them. But as various English translations have it, what do we mean? Do we mean sins? Do we mean trespasses? Do we mean debts? Well, debt covers both financial and non-financial owing, as in mortgage debt or debt of gratitude. Trespass points to property violations, and sin is the violation of sacred commandments. So all of these actually matter when we're looking at the Lord's Prayer and what forgiveness means. Now, I need to be honest. I learned the Lord's Prayer when I was young, and I learned it in the trespasses translation. And I honestly thought that tr like, trespassing would be a much bigger deal and struggle in my life. Because I figured, well, God is talking about it specifically in the Lord's Prayer. So we must like accidentally trespass a lot, or this must be something really hard to like flee from. So as a teenager, I was even more confused because it wasn't hard to not trespass. Like one, I'm not going out in the dark, that's scary. Two, I'm not about to climb a fence to get somewhere I'm not supposed to go and like carry a raw steak if there's dogs that are trying to attack me. I couldn't figure out why it was such a focus that we couldn't trespass because it just seems so easy. Well, today we're gonna talk about what it actually means. It doesn't mean just not going into construction sites. You can pass them safely, but we're gonna see what it really means. So we actually have um, a person named William Tyndale to thank for this confusion. Tyndale was the great English reformer who first translated the Bible into English from Hebrew and Greek texts. And even though both the Greek and Latin New Testaments use words like the version we're looking at today, which is debt, and earlier church fathers and translators used debt as well, for some reason, Tyndale preferred trespasses. Why he preferred it, who knows? No one knows, it's only speculation. But he published this in the New Testament in 1526 against the will and law of Henry VIII. And then he lived in mortal danger, actually, for only 10 more years until he was betrayed by a friend and executed for his translation crimes. So he didn't live long enough to make many other revisions, but his preference really didn't leave its mark very long because by 1611, they went back to debts. Just some fun facts for you today. So to start, I wanna focus on why this passage is so important to begin with. And we know it matters because it's written in far more places than just the Lord's Prayer. So there's a story in the Bible and it's in Matthew 18, 21 to 35. So I'm gonna read that story. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. 
But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. The fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So does this story sound familiar? To me, it sounds a lot like the line we are looking at today. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This story does a great job in showing us what it is that God expects of us when we pray this prayer. We can't truly accept the forgiveness of God and that what all he offers us without allowing it to change us and then extend that same forgiveness to others. So back to the word debt in this line. In the Roman Empire, prisons were not generally filled with criminals, but they were populated with debtors. So most convicted criminals were executed or were forced to serve some other form of punishment, but those who could not make good on their payments were incarcerated until they could pay what they owed. So this system was meant to put pressure on the families of those incarcerated to find the necessary money to pay their debts and free their loved ones from prison. So in the Roman Empire then, debt typically meant severe pain and tragedy for an individual and a family. In our day, we experience frustration and anxiety with debt, but in the days of Jesus, debt was a matter of life and death. This is the context in which Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Jesus' use of the word debts is meant to show us both a serious offense and a corresponding serious punishment. To be forgiven a debt was more than just not owing money, but it was actually an act of extravagant mercy. If the request, give us this day our daily bread, emphasizes our most urgent physical needs, then the request, forgive us our debts, would emphasize our most urgent spiritual need. Saying how we owe a debt to God means that we have failed to pay up. So as sinners, we stand before God condemned, rightly, and we deserve his wrath. But only God's forgiveness can clear us and establish that meaningful relationship between God and us. So there's a good reason that forgive us comes right after give us our daily bread. It's a hint that we need both every day, food and forgiveness. And we should be praying for both on a daily basis. I want to forgive willingly because that's the kind of forgiveness that I want from God. I don't want God to measure out my forgiveness in human ways. I want to measure out my forgiveness to others in a big God way. I want to be fully willing to forgive and quick to forgive. I want to forgive fully and repeatedly because all of those are things that I need or how I want God to forgive me. And just as our request to be forgiven is a daily need, so is our forgiveness of others. Forgive us as we forgive, or in other words, forgive us today as we turn around and be forgiving to others today. And I find this so interesting. Jesus teaches us that as we ask our Heavenly Father for forgiveness, we should also confirm our practice of forgiving others. So it's assuming that we are in the practice of forgiving others, an assumption that may or may not be true for us. 
But how could we pray in the way that Jesus teaches if we're unwilling to forgive? And how could we ask God to forgive us if we hold grudges or find ourselves living in a place of resentment? When Christ taught us the Lord's Prayer, he gave us our pattern for what prayer should look like. We begin with the Lord's name, kingdom, and will. Then we bring our petitions to God for ourselves and others. First, we ask for our daily bread. And then just as we've been saying, God is our king and our father, so he cares for our spiritual and physical needs. So here's the maybe not so encouraging reality when we just hear it. It's the fact that Christ adds this to his ideal prayer means that we are always going to struggle with this until either we die or Christ returns, whichever happens first. And unfortunately, at times throughout history, this doctrine of perfectionism has been taught. This belief that after you find Jesus, after you're forgiven, then you can reach a point where you no longer sin. But this is not true. And it was one of the big perversions of the false teachers in the Ephesians church, which was in the New Testament. Because of this reality, we must practice confession continually. We must confess our debts, the ways that we've failed God in thought and action. 1 John 1.9 says, But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, forgiving our sins and cleansing us from all the unrighteousness. The word confess simply means to say what we did. Confession is agreeing with God that we were wrong, what we did was ungodly, and our actions dishonored the Lord and hurt others. Included with this part is turning away from our sin and forgiving others. So we talked about how there are three different translations, debt, sins, and trespasses, but it's actually not the most important part of this verse. The most important part, and it's translated the same way throughout, is forgive. It's the main part of this piece, and it's in the Lord's Prayer, is teaching us to forgive. So forgiveness is one of our deepest needs as people. It's at the heart of scripture and at the heart of the gospel. Jesus came to offer us forgiveness and to reconcile us to God. That's what the cross is. It's a reminder that we have been forgiven and our debt has been paid in full. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he encourages us in this prayer to ask for forgiveness every time we pray. So think of the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, 11 to 32. If you aren't familiar with it, I'm going to read it today. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son." 
But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, ha he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was lost and is alive again. He was lost and is found. At the start, we see the prodigal son definitely needed forgiveness, but he just didn't know it yet. He was squandering his father's money in a far country. He didn't care about it at all. Until he got so desperate that he came to himself, as Jesus puts in this parable. When he came to himself and he realized he needed to be forgiven and reconciled to his father, he went home to see his dad. So when he returned home and his father embraced him, he forgave him and threw him a party. But the most incredible part of this story is that this is the forgiveness that God offers to each of us. But what about the next part of the petition in the Lord's Prayer? As we forgive our debtors. This to me is probably the easiest part of the prayer to understand, but the hardest to actually pray. Because this part of the prayer calls on us to do something, and to do something that actually isn't easy. We are agreeing to forgive those who sin against us. And Jesus teaches us to pray in a way that whenever we ask God to forgive us, we then challenge ourselves to do the same for others. And forgiving someone who has hurt us in one of the most hurtful ways that we could imagine is incredibly difficult to do. But the father in this story does it the way that God does. And often we actually act like the older brother. We can be angry that forgiveness is given so freely to everyone when we feel it hasn't been earned or maybe that the hurt they caused is too much. Expanding or extending forgiveness is not something that comes easy. And there are so many reasons why. When someone continually hurts us, when someone doesn't ask for forgiveness, so many things happen in our lives that praying for help as we forgive is often the best thing we can do. But Jesus definitely teaches us and even commands us to forgive one another. In Matthew's gospel, after he concludes his teaching on the Lord's Prayer, he goes on to say more about this particular part. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, the Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So there's not much wiggle room here. Jesus expects us to forgive others, and if we refuse, we cannot rightfully expect God to forgive us. But still, forgiveness is hard. Just because we're commanded to do it doesn't make it easy. So the last thing I want to say is, if you are here this morning and forgiveness is hard for you, I want you to know that it's a process. It's not a one-time act. This prayer is beginning the process that can sometimes take a very long time. It's something like grief in that way. A long process that looks different for everyone and that can't be simply rushed through. 
One of the most remarkable stories of forgiveness in the Bible is actually told in Genesis, and it's of Joseph and his brothers. So Joseph's brothers, you might remember if you've read it, um, they were really jealous of Joseph and angry about his dreams. So they threw him into a pit and sold him to a caravan headed towards Egypt. So that story is in Genesis 37, and the next several chapters detail Joseph's time in Egypt, including his rise to power. But the last nine chapters of Genesis are really the story of Joseph forgiving his brothers and being reconciled with his family. Nine chapters that describe the events that took place over an extended period of time. It didn't happen overnight, in other words. It was a process, and forgiveness usually is. So to end today, I want to read Psalm 103, 10 to 14. And it says this, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our inequities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father, he has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. I want you to know if you are struggling with forgiveness today, God loves you more than you could ever fathom. If you're uh, struggling with understanding how God could forgive you, know that he died for you because he loves you so much and nothing can separate you from that love. There's nothing. And if you are on the other side and you're struggling to forgive someone, know that God sees your pain and cries with you. He's not blind to the things that hurt us, but instead wants to bring us comfort and compassion. Forgiveness sets us free, whether we are accepting it or giving it, and he will help us complete this. So we just want to pray as we close today. God, we just thank you for that forgiveness that you've extended to us. We thank you that that cross was worth our, your life because our lives were worth it to you. And God, I pray that today, no matter what side we are, either struggling to accept the forgiveness that you've given or struggling to forgive others, God, we know that you are willing to help us. You provide us an entire book on different ways to soften our hearts. And you bring us comfort and compassion no matter what side we are on. So God, this morning, we thank you for that. We thank you for that forgiveness. And we pray, as in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Amen.